All right, amen, amen. Yeah, that is uh, the last few months, what we call around here season one. And so just to give you a little insight in how we organize things, uh, season one is January to April, season two is uh, May to August, and season three is September to December. And we kind of organize the way ministry flows in those things. And so that is what we would call a season one recap of what God has done the last few months. Uh, it's been some amazing, some amazing work. Last night uh, we had what we call team night, which is to honor our servant leaders. Uh, shared some stories, which I wish we had time to go over everything today. But some big pictures from that were uh, over the last season, uh, the most important thing that we know is that we've had 15 people profess faith in Jesus Christ uh, to return from, turn from their sins and trust Jesus just in the last few months. And so that's awesome. Uh, you should clap for that. That's what we're here to do. Yes. Yes, this is what we're here for. Uh, and we've seen so many people come, come to know faith. We baptized six people last week. It was super fun. Uh, and we're just excited about everything the Lord is doing here. Uh, there's been so many great stories, and they continue to build about the impact of our deliveries. So we have been making deliveries for a, now a year uh, to people's homes, delivering food. Uh, it started every week, and now we've navigated it to every month, partnering with food for others for the donations. And it's been just an awesome ministry, and we're like, the Lord's doing so much, and now we're starting to see more. Like, we're hearing these stories about people having deliveries made to their home. They're coming to church now. They're bringing their friend. The friend gets saved at church. All these amazing things that are happening. And so I just want you to know and hopefully give you a little recap about what God is doing here and what we expect him to continue to do. Uh, last Thursday, we started our English, our English for second ESL class, okay, all right? English as a second language. That's the, I was going to say English for second learners. I was like, that's not it. That's not ESL. English as a second language. Yeah, okay. Uh, our ESL class, then also our, our teaching Spanish uh, to those who haven't been able uh, to learn that in their own language yet, to read and to write. And last Thursday, we had 50 people from the community here to learn English and to learn Spanish. So, yes, keep clapping. You just get your hands ready, okay? Lots of clapping. Uh, it was an awesome thing, and uh, I was just so encouraged. And it was one of those lessons in life where last year we started that, and obviously uh, COVID was, was very, very in the, in the midst of it, like thick, and we were navigating all that. And, but there were five, five or so people that came to our, our English and Spanish class, our Spanish class last year, uh, and they were, our team was super faithful with them. And it's just like the Lord says, faithful a little, faithful much. You, you treat five people like they're the most important people in the world, then the Lord brings 50 uh, to come to the next thing. And so the Lord continues to work. Uh, we expect probably more than that this week. And so one of the things we're going to need is some more servant leaders. Uh, you do not have to speak Spanish, okay? As long as you speak any language whatsoever, you can come serve, all right? So Thursday nights at 730, uh, there's going to be somebody in the back that you can talk to on your way out if you want to sign up. We would love for you to join us. It's right after Restore, so come pray at 6.30, come serve at 7.30. It's a great way to spend your Thursday nights. Uh, we need your support and your help. And so the Lord is on the move in that way, and we're, we're really excited. One of the fun stories from that was last year, of the few people that came, there was this guy, his name was Walter. Uh, he was about 50 years old, and he um, did not know how to read and write. And so our team and Luis uh, spent some time with him over those, those weeks and months, and he slowly but surely began to learn how to read and write in Spanish. Uh, he graduated, so to speak, from that, and, and now he's continuing to learn. But on Thursday, it was so fun, Pastor Luis, and I got the picture of this, I, I should have put on there, Pastor Luis gave him his very first Bible uh, that he can read for himself in his language. And that moment right there was like, that's worth 
everything. That's worth coming here. That's worth the price of this church. Like, you know what I'm saying? That moment right there. Uh, and there's a lot of those moments that uh, I, I could encourage you by this morning, but I also need to preach a sermon. I'm going to do that. Uh, but there's a lot of Walters out there that the Lord is blessing and using you to serve and doing some significant work, um, not only to bless them in this earth right now, but to bless them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, most importantly. And the Lord is using you to do that. One more thing I want to invite you to be a part of. Uh, this summer we're, we're having interns. We always have interns, but we bring 10 new ones every summer. And so at the end of May, we're going to have 10 new interns on top of the million interns we have now. So it's going to be a lot of running around all over the place. If anything goes wrong, just blame an intern, okay? That's the easiest thing to do. It's the easiest. It's probably their fault, all right? So uh, anyways, they're amazing, and, and they get so much done here, and they're growing, and, and uh it's so important as we think about this leadership development in the church to say if we want the gospel to go forward, we have to prioritize developing ministry leaders. And we have to maximize the ministry capacity of everybody that comes here and especially of those that want to give their entire life to this work. And especially when they're young like that, 18, 19, 20, to make an impression on their life that changes their life forever. This is significant work. This is significant work. So this summer, we're going to have 10 new ones. Uh, part of the way we're able to fund that is by you guys providing housing, all right? So uh, if you're able to house one or two or more or whatever it might be, interns, please let Taylor know. Uh, one of our pastors here, you can speak with him. Uh, we would love to know if you can house them this summer to help us uh, not only support the work, but help them engage in the life of the community and be a part of your discipleship process and, and serving. So that would be great to let him know. Uh, the Lord is doing so much. I could keep talking about it, but I want to talk about the Bible. So 1 Kings 18, if you want to join me there. Uh, in light of the fact that we are just celebrating what God did and continues to do during every way, and in light of what we continue to feel called to do here as a church to make a difference in the world around us, uh, today we're going to talk from 1 Kings 18. I was praying, I said, Lord, what is it? So next week we start Philippians. We're going to spend seven weeks in Philippians working through the book. You're going to have those scripture journals. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to start working through that next week. So today, and we're thinking about everybody, I just asking the Lord, like, what is it? What do you have for us today? And what do you want us to talk about? What's the word that you have for the people here at City Life? And I kept thinking about, the Lord kept bringing me uh, to mind this story in 1 Kings 18 where Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal. And the Lord does a miraculous, significant work to defend his own name. And he brings fire down from heaven to show who really is God and who is not. And as I was considering that story, there's this phrase that kept coming to mind. This is the title of the sermon today. It's already on the screen. The fire is for the fight. The fire is for the fight. The fire is for the fight. So often, we want the Lord to do great things but at little cost to ourselves. We want to see the supernatural provision of God without much risk or inconvenience to ourselves. We want God to do signs and wonders while we live a normal Christian life. And what I want to call us to today, as we continue to call us to more and more, to say the Lord sends fire for the people that are in the fight. And if you want the supernatural provision of God, you must be on the mission of God. And to say and to ask all of us, let's continue to fight. And for many of you, maybe today, the call of God is let's get in the fight. Stop asking the Lord to show up if we will not first show up. 
the fire is for the fight. The fire is for the fight. And I was thinking about this. I thought about this picture of like sitting around a, a fire pit, you know, it's all relaxed. You got your lights on your deck. Everything's chill. You got some nice music on. Your feet are up and you got a nice little fire pit there. And thinking about saying like, Lord, send the fire on this, you know. Be like, that's kind of a silly environment to ask for that. Like that doesn't seem like the right. Those don't, those don't match. But imagine you're in the wilderness and you're like just almost dead and you're trying, it's freezing outside and you're trying to get these sticks to work together and you said, Lord, come on, help, send the fire. That would seem like a more conducive environment to the Lord doing something out of the normal. And what I want us to think about this morning is God does, he's so good and he blesses us for lots of reasons. But one of the things to consider is if we want to see God continue to work and at the next level of what he's doing now in City Light and what he's doing in your life, Sometimes we must position ourselves for the work. We must position ourselves to receive what God is doing. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, that the fire is for the fight, the provision of God is for the mission of God. And so if we want the provision in supernatural ways, we must be involved in a supernatural work. So 1 Kings 18, we're going to read through the whole story. The whole story makes this point, especially at the end. So we're going to work through it piece by piece. It's kind of long. So I'm not going to do it all at once. So let's start at 1 Kings 18, verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, in your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and for then the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Stop right there. Just so you understand what's going on. So Elijah is one of the prophets in Israel this time, the main one. He's doing the work of the Lord. And he has prophesied that it would not rain uh, for three years. And so it has not rained in the land for three years. There's a terrible drought going on. Obviously, it's causing a lot of problems. And so Ahab is a wicked king, and he has disobeyed the Lord. He comes to Elijah and says, oh, you troubler of Israel. Like it's Elijah's fault that he had brought, uh, that he had not brought any rain. And what Elijah says, he turns back and says, no, it's you that have troubled Israel because of your disobedience. And now the context of the story is there's a drought. Elijah stands on God's side the messenger of God. Ahab stands against the Lord with many people. Most of the kingdom have gone away from the Lord. And so now a battle is about to begin and they're going back and forth. And Elijah in this situation, it says, okay, basically let's have it, let's fight it out. And I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna prove to you who really is the troubler of Israel. And I, I thought it would be necessary here just to take a second, just to put this out there for you to consider. I think it's worth noting I think it's worth noting that maybe, maybe, maybe some of you in the room are experiencing a certain trouble in life that you're blaming someone else for, but the solution is personal repentance. I just want to put that out there. It's certainly probably not each and every one of you, but I thought it was so significant for Ahab to come and say, you, you have troubled Israel. And Elijah to say, no, 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 you are the troubler of Israel. The solution is not in finding someone else to blame. The solution is in personal repentance. That's what he's going to call Ahab to, and that's what he's going to call everyone to. Ahab does not, sadly, join him in that. So what is that for you this morning? Is that possible? 
that there are things going on in your life. Listen, sometimes trouble we get into is because someone else. Someone else did something bad to us. Absolutely. Sometimes trouble we're in is circumstantial. It's just life. Life is hard. Sometimes the trouble we're in is a direct result of our disobedience. And I just want to make sure that you have that caveat, that category in your mind to consider. Not to say that you are at fault for everything bad happening in your life. That is not it. But just to consider, just to consider. Are you blaming someone else? Are you looking somewhere else? Is the solution in your personal repentance? Now let's move on through the story. Verse 20, so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel. He gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel, and Elijah came near to all the people, and he said, so good, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So look, he's gathering the people together, and he's saying, listen, how long are you going to keep hedging your bets? You follow Baal when it's convenient for you. You follow God when it's convenient for you. And you're limping between two decisions, meaning there's no conviction. There's no belief. There's no faith. You're just, oh, this seems working out. And so I limp over here when this seems to work out. And I slowly but surely go to both sides. And I want you to consider in a moment right now, I love this phrase. I think it's a word straight for us, straight for them and straight for you. You got to ask yourself this question. Maybe the Lord brought you here to clarify your spiritual life. How long will you keep waiting to make a decision? How long will you keep going between two different opinions? How long will you keep trying to love God and love the world? You cannot do that. How long will you keep coming to church but not actually following Jesus? How long will you keep claiming Jesus when it's convenient for you but letting him go when it costs you something? How long will you keep waffling between two decisions? The Lord brought you here to say, make up your mind. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. And today very well might be the very last chance you have to do that. Make up your mind. How long will you go limping between two decisions? Jesus himself had this same edge to him. He said, whoever is not with me is against me. And to have this mindset that I can sort of follow Jesus is just not true. It's just not true. How long will you go limping between two different decisions? How long will you keep loving the world and trying to love God? Some of you in this room that requires personal repentance to trust and to follow him today, <clears throat> you have yet to really follow Jesus because you haven't gave him your full heart. And God is calling you today to an all or nothing kind of faith. An all-or-nothing investment in Jesus, an all-or-nothing trust in him. No hedging your bets, no plan B, no second options. Jesus is it or he's nothing. He's everything or nothing to you this morning. Everything or nothing. And so I want to ask you, are you sort of following Jesus? Are you sort of involved in what God is doing? Are you hedging your bet? Do you have another option? Or is Jesus everything to you? Everything. Everything to you. He's everything or he's nothing. And some of you need to repent, believe, trust, receive the free gift of eternal life this morning. And God says, make up your mind. And some of us are real, true Christ followers. But we're living a life limping between different things. No urgency. No conviction. No risk. No faith. Just sort of here, sort of there, whenever it works out, however it goes, feels good now, 
sort of here, sort of there. And this may come across as a challenge, but I think it's an encouragement because the Lord wants to do something in your life. And he's opening up a door for you this morning to walk through it and to stop living halfway. Listen to me. For some of you, there is no fire for your fight from God because there's no fire in your fight. There's no fire in your heart, no conviction from the Holy Spirit. And God today, through the word of God, is telling you to wake up. That God has called you to something more significant than what you're living now. To rekindle the joy of your salvation. The conviction of living with purpose. One of my prayers this morning for you is that we would walk out with full conviction. Passion, zeal, excitement, readiness for what God wants to do. Focus, a conviction that everything rides on people believing in Jesus. A conviction that heaven is real and hell is very real. A conviction that the only answer for the world is Jesus Christ. A conviction that God has given you life for a reason and a purpose. A conviction to live on purpose. To live with conviction, passion, zeal, and to not Go sort of here and sort of there to put yourself on the line, to take a risk, to live by faith. And that certainly is a challenge, but hear me, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to wake up. It's an invitation to live a more fulfilling life following Jesus wholeheartedly. It's an invitation to really make a difference with your life. It's an invitation to make your life count. And the Lord brought you here today to inspire you, to challenge, to convict you, to bring about repentance so that you could live a life of conviction. 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 Listen to me. As an incre- if you increase in conviction, the Lord will release more power for mission. Hear me. If you increase in conviction, passion, zeal, you ask the Lord for it because it's a grace from God. You can't like walk out of here and say, Aha! I'm going to, woo, you know, you can't do that. It's a posture. It's a commitment to the Lord. The Lord will begin to use you. And it's an action in faith to say, I don't feel like sharing the gospel right now, but I'm going to. I don't feel like laying down my life for my wife right now, but I'm going to. I don't feel like being kind to these people, but I'm going to. To let the Lord lead you that way. But an increase in conviction will lead to a release of power for mission. You want the fire, but there's no fight. And the Lord wants to bring the fire, but you got to get in the fight. Where is your conviction? And I will say on the encouraging side that this church is full of people with conviction. The reason why the Lord is doing so much, I believe, is because this church is full of people with conviction. People that believe we're actually supposed to make a difference, not just run services. People that believe that the presence of God is real and to be pursued. People that believe that prayer really is the work. People that aren't playing games trying to just be nice to people, but people that believe that you either go to hell or heaven, and it all depends on your relationship to Jesus, and we're going to give our whole life to making sure as many people know about the free grace of Jesus as possible. There is a group of people here at City Light that are full of conviction, and it's using, it's being used by God to do amazing things and that's what I believe the Lord is working through and in. So be encouraged this day. I really believe City Light is a place of conviction. And so what I'm asking some of you do to do is to join us in living by conviction. To join us in making your life count. Let the Lord lead you. 
But as Elijah says, so I say to you, how long will you go on limping between two decisions? Jesus is everything or he's nothing. Let's continue in the story. Verse 22, then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given us. Let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bull, lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. You call upon the name of your God. I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Look at this. One versus 450. Really, one versus an entire kingdom of people. If Elijah is wrong and doesn't get proved right by God, he dies. That's the risk. And he's stepping in front of 450 people. And he's saying, we're going to fight. We're going to see who really is the Lord. I'm going to put my life on the line to defend and to be a part of the defense of God's glory and God's name. And so it is with many of us, the Lord is calling us. Even if it's one versus an entire school, one versus an entire university, one versus an entire neighborhood, one versus an entire workspace, one versus an entire family, one versus an entire friend group, one versus an entire social circle, will you put your life and your reputation on the line to defend the glory of God? This is conviction. I will die on this hill. This is what conviction looks like. I don't care how many of you there are. That doesn't matter. I don't care what the end result of this is. And he was very confident the Lord was going to come through, obviously, because this was way bigger than just Elijah. This had to do with the glory of God in Israel. But he didn't know the outcome, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't know that they wouldn't be burned up by the fire. Daniel didn't know he wouldn't get eaten by the lions. So the question for us is, are we willing to take the risk? You will never take the risk without conviction. Conviction. Well, something else I was thinking about as I was reading this passage and the significance of this moment and maybe how does this moment kind of help and apply to us today? What does it look like to live by this today? And I thought about the way we spend some of our time, and, and here's something for you to consider. Sometimes you don't have the energy for a worthy battle because you are spending it on unnecessary ones. Sometimes you don't have the energy of conviction for a worthy battle because you're spending it on so many unnecessary ones. Because you're spending it on so many unnecessary ones. You know, being a Twitter warrior all day and have no energy or desire to actually share the gospel with your neighbor. Fighting with other Christians about doctrines or politics, but never actually taking shots at the enemy, the real one. In-house fights with one another and never actually focus on the work of the enemy around us. No money's left to sponsor kids in poverty because we've spent it trying to keep up with our peers. There's no fire for your fight because there's no fire in your fight. And I wonder, I wonder if our lives, mine included, had more focus. If we would have more energy 
for the things that matter. Instead of wasting our time fighting unnecessary battles, not forgiving people, and holding on grudges that drain us mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, so we don't have the energy to deal with a friend in grief. What would it look like if you decided to forgive and let the Lord handle the situation so that you could be released mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically to be present with those that are in need? These are the things I was considering for myself. Nate, what battles are you wasting your energy on that are unnecessary? And are you actually taking any real shots at the actual enemy, (laughs) the real enemy, sin, Satan, separation from God forever, the work of darkness? Where are you focusing your energy and attention? Do you have energy for worthy battles? Or are you wasting it on unnecessary ones? Uh, when I was thinking about this, I thought about, and you, you parents will appreciate this, it's like when kids snack all day and they have no desire to eat a real meal, right? And all you are like, man, my kids would never do that. I feed them kale and ch- grilled chicken. No, you don't. Stop. Stop lying to me. I remember I had, I had one parent, you know, this is just like, nobody knows what being a parent's like until you are one. And uh, I had a friend tell me they would never take their kids to McDonald's. I was like, I just, I'm just, will you please call me the day your kid goes to McDonald's? They're going to find their way to McDonald's. I don't, it doesn't even matter if you do it or not. They're going to find their way. And then once they see it, they're going to pester you. Yeah, okay, good luck with that. So anyways, it, it's, it's like when your kids snack all day and they have no desire for real meals. They've eaten pretzels, maybe some good stuff too, nuts, you know, whatever, oranges, apples. Let's just say good things, all right? They're eating all those things because none of our kids eat candy and chocolate. No, we're not like, like that. No, 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 we're, we're better than, better parents than that. And, and so we, they, they're eating all day and they're snacking, they're snacking, and then it comes time for lunch or like dinner, and they're like, I'm not hungry, you know? And then they don't eat dinner at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and then they're like really hungry right before bed. They didn't eat dinner because they were snacking all day. They spent so much time on little things, they didn't have the room and space to do the actual big thing that would help them. Just little things all day, little things all day. So they didn't have the energy or the space to eat the thing that would actually help them and provide sustenance for them. And I wonder if it's true for you and for me that there's so many little things eating up our time, energy, and attention that we do not have the space or the capacity to actually invest in the things that matter. Right? So many looks on social media, glances here and there, that we don't have the mental capacity or desire to open up the Bible for more than five minutes. What's the trade-off? The Lord is calling you and me, I've been so convicted by this, man, to live with conviction. Is the Bible really true? Is it really my bread? My daily sustenance? Man shall not live by word alone, but by, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do I have a conviction about that? It's just so important. I don't care how early I have to wake up or how much time I have to spend or whatever I have to do. Will I trade anything off for this? And am I making little trades all day long and they're keeping me from the very thing that God wants for me, the very thing that would actually strengthen me, the very thing that would actually provide me more energy. But the little things are eating me up 
and because I'm so distracted and because I'm so focused on all these things that don't matter, not only is that taking me away, but it's taking the energy and the space and the capacity away for me to do something that matters and for me to invest in the word of God and for me to share the gospel with my neighbors and for me to call and care about other people and to consider their needs more important than my own. I don't have the mental, spiritual, and emotional capacity to do everything God has called me to do precisely not because he's letting me down, but because I am wasting it on things that don't matter. And the only way out of that isn't a better schedule or to have more discipline is to live with conviction. Do you want your life to count? Is the Bible really where you find your life? Is the way of the Lord really the only way? Come on. Is it really one name? Is it really? Because if it is, what does that mean for all of these people? So do you have a conviction that Jesus is the only way? That's what the Bible says. The only name under heaven by which men must be saved. So if there's a conviction that that's true, it's going to change the way you engage your neighborhood and your friends. Let's keep going. Verse 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull, prepare it first, for you are many. Call upon the name of our, your God and put no fire to it. So they took the bull that was given them. They prepared it. They called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. So they limped around the altar that they had made. The word limp there, I think, is very intentional. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, keep crying, cry aloud. He is, if he is a god, he is either amusing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey. Perhaps he is asleep and he must be awakened. Some good prophetic sarcasm, all right? This is great. Verse 28, and they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords, lances, until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday now passed, they started in the morning. They raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered and no one paid attention. This is what I would call the vanity of idolatry. The vanity of idolatry. Listen to me, we see it here and we see it in the real in, in life now, thousands of years later. When you are pursuing idols, the harder you work, the less progress you make. Look at this. It escalates. First they build the altar, then they pray, then they cry aloud. That's not working, so then they start cutting themselves. It gets more frantic and more frantic. There must be something else I can do. But look at the end result. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Why? Because there was nobody there. The more we pursue idols, the less progress we make. The prophets of Baal were freaking out and nothing happened. And maybe that is true for some of you as well. You came into this room, lots of asking, but no answering. Lots of working to try to get some favor in life, but no blessing. Hoping somebody will come through for you. Some way, some religious system, some philosophy of life. And you're giving yourself to it. And you keep being let down time and time again. And the reason is because there's nobody there listening to you. There is no answer when you cry out to money, relationships, job status. There is no answer back from that because there's nobody there. 
how many of you in this room are currently pursuing idols in such a way that it's progressing more and more. You're going deeper and deeper into that hole and getting less and less results. And the Lord, by his grace, brought you here today to say there is somebody out there, there is somebody that will listen to you, and there is somebody with the power to help you, to strengthen you, and to be with you, but it's one name, Jesus. And if you continue to pursue the things you're pursuing, to try to find salvation and deliverance and satisfaction and hope and peace and security and joy, the harder you work, the less progress you will make. Things will not get better. I promise you this. They will only get better if you turn, you stop pursuing the things you're pursuing now, and you start pursuing Jesus. Because until you do, there will be no answer. And you will keep lurking, looking, and keep searching, and keep crying, and you will get desperate and frantic, and that will not help you. Some of you in this room need to turn to the living God as your source of life, salvation, deliverance, and strength. Vanity of idolatry. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. He put the wood in order cut the bull in pieces, he laid it on the wood. He said, fill four jars of water and pour it on the burnt offering in the wood. He's like, make it harder. He said, do it again a second time, then do it a third time. So they did it a third time. The water ran around the altar and it filled the trench also with water. I love what Elijah's doing here. He's like a good movie director. He's making this as dramatic as possible. He's saying, we're going to build up to this scene. There's going to be an amazing climax, right? And everything is going to come pop off at this moment. And he's saying, put more water, put more water on it. But I want you to just notice one segment in here. It says, and with the stones that, that it was already significant to Israel, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He built the altar in his name. The power of the altar is in the name of its devotion. You know why the altar to Baal didn't work very well? Because it was devoted to Baal. There was no power in the altar because it was devoted to a powerless thing. And you can say this for your life. The power of your life is in the name of its devotion. What are you building your life for? Who are you building it unto? The power of your life and the power of the altar is in the name of its devotion. When you build a life in the name of the Lord... The Lord will be glorified by your life. And the fire from heaven and whatever form that looks for your life today will fall. And the Lord will use you dramatically for his kingdom. What are you building your life unto? In what name is your life devoted? Verse 36, the close of the story. And at that time of the offering, Elijah the prophet came near and he said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel... Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant. I have done all these things at your word. 
Answer me, O Lord, answer me. Why? That this people might know you, O Lord. You are God, and you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and it consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And as we said from the beginning, the fire is for the fight. The provision of God is for the mission of God. If we want to see God do supernatural, significant work in your life and in the community, we must be in the fight. Here's a final word for you and for me, because this is so relevant as we pull up from the Old Testament and what God did there, we pull it into our times now and what the Lord is doing in 2021. Something we can learn from this text is that when the goal is God's glory, the action will have authority. You should live your life by this. Look at this. Look at how he approaches the situation. Not, oh Lord, like defend me. I'm in a really bad spot. I need help. If you don't come through, I'm dead. That's probably what I would pray. You know, <laughs> like I want you to get glory, but I'd also like not to die. And so if we could have those things happen, and I'd kind of be, you know, both ways. No, no, no. What is he saying? He's totally convicted Oh, Lord, reveal yourself, be glorified in this moment, defend your name. And Elijah's just like, I'm just here to be a vessel for the glory of God. And look what happens. When does the authority come? When the goal is God's glory, the action will have authority. When the goal is God's glory, the action will have authority. When the goal is God's glory, the action will have authority. And if you want to have authority and power in your life with the things you do and the words you use, make it your aim to glorify God. To say the goal in this conversation is God's glory. And so my words now will have authority. The goal of my existence in this neighborhood is God's glory. And so my existence here will have authority. The goal of the reason I go to work ultimately is God's glory. And so as I go to work, it will go with authority. The goal of my money and the use of my resources is God's glory. So as I do that, the resources will go and have authority. The goal of everything I do is God's glory. So then in everything I do, I carry a supernatural authority. And if you believe this, you can live by conviction, and the Lord can use your life to do these kinds of amazing things. You know, in James 5, it tells us, it gives us the example to pray, and it, it goes to Elijah. And it says, Elijah was a man just like you and me. I love that. Why? Because you know what we would do? That was then. Those kind of things don't happen. He was a prophet. Who am I? My prayers can't make a difference like that. That was different. And James is like, no, oh, wait, hold up. Elijah was a man just like you. What a sentence. So now you pick that up, and you say the power of his prayer and devotion and conviction led towards a great revival and repentance and led towards the defense of God's name in a significant supernatural way. And his prayers had power beyond what he could explain. And James says, he was a man just like you. 
So if you would live by conviction, if you would make it your aim to glorify God, if you would stop wasting your time on little battles and saving your energy for the ones that count, if you would focus and give your whole life to God, build your life in devotion to his name, if you would do these things, what is James saying? What does Jesus say? You will do greater works than I did. That's what he's after to say there's power in the name of Jesus. And he wants you to live by that power, to live by that power. And if we want to stay in these next two years, man, every way, we want to see every door open for every opportunity for God to work and do supernatural things in our community to save souls and to restore broken homes and to change lives. We want to see him do that. It's going to take a group of people that believe with full conviction that if they live by God's glory, they will carry God's authority. And if you would simply stop wasting your time on things that don't matter, you would have the energy, the capacity, and the mental wherewithal to give your whole self to the things that matter most. The fire is for the fight. The provision of God is for the mission of God. Now, I'd be remiss to not make one last point. This was obviously several thousand years later, and this is an amazing text. It's the word of God. We can learn a lot from it. But something else has come from heaven to reveal the glory of God and to give strength to his people and salvation in his name. Something much better than fire is the Lord Jesus himself. Hebrews 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, Elijah. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Something greater than fire from heaven has come down. It's the Son of God. And he came down to bring salvation and deliverance to you and to defend the name of God and to bring about the glory of God. And the Bible teaches us why did the sun came? The same reason the fire came to reveal God, to reveal that he is the one true God, to reveal that he is the only way, to reveal that you must trust alone in him, to help us understand, stop waffling between two decisions. Jesus Christ has revealed himself. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again from the grave on the third day. And the Bible says if anybody would believe in him and stop limping between two opinions, but would give their all to Jesus, he would save you, restore you, strengthen in you and secure you in his name. Something greater than fire has come down and it's the son of God. And if you would believe and trust in him, you can be saved. And that's the call of God on your life today. All of us, every single person in this room, God is calling us to live by conviction. For some of you, the first step to living by conviction is going to be repentance and faith, trusting in the Lord for the very first time. For some of you, it's going to be repentance and faith. Again, once again, renewing your heart unto the Lord and asking for the power of his Holy Spirit to help you live by conviction. But if we want to see God do supernatural things in these next two years, 
We have to live by a supernatural faith. The fire is for the fight. The provision of God is for the mission of God. So let's go. Let's get in the fight. Let's get in the mission. Let's continue to see God work. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. We honor you. I ask now in this moment, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, give confidence and conviction. And that your spirit would not only teach, but apply. And that we would all leave from here different. We thank you for your work on the cross and in the resurrection to give us an eternal hope. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Won't you stand and respond to this?